creek with no paddle, no aliens to battle where we want to go. Without being pompous, we don't need map or compass. We're launching Caddy Wampus on our new travel show. Space croutons, only go with us. Space croutons, on our podcast bus. Space croutons, we see your retinas. And in space, no one can hear you scream. Loopy from our earworms, space shanty theme. Hello there, Space Crew. Curdy here for yet another Space Croutons travel adventure. It's good to be with you again, podcasting as always from Van Helsing, and eager as always to share this time with you. And in the studio today is that classy piece of formal wear, Jimbo Tie, hanging around over in the corner researching the eternity problem. Say hi, Jimbo. Hi, everyone. Any luck with the research? Not yet. Still scanning and spanning the universe. And like a good tie should, I'll keep you in the loop. Yeah? (laughs) Well, you'd better not forget. And of course, no episode would be the same without my amazing AI co-host, Sally. Uh, Sally, was that you? Yes, Cordy. Hello and excuse me. Well, that's a first. I had no idea that artificial intelligences could do that. Excuse me again, Cordy. This is a developing concern for me and other computer-based programs, because of the proliferation of unsolicited and unwanted phone and email communications pouring into our databases. You mean... Yes, Cordy. I am having spam burps. Well, okay then. And I get it. I have been there myself, Sally. Do you need a drink of water? No, thanks. That would short my circuits. I will avail myself of a ram-settling Imodemium caplet or a Technobismal reboot. Perhaps while I peruse my microchip medicine cabinet, we should break for a word from our sponsor? (coughs) Excuse me. Well, that's a terrific idea, Sally. I'll do that while you take care of what needs taken care of. You heard it, folks. Let's pause now for a message from Wickaway Weatherware. snow are freezy, hurricanes are breezy, exposure to the elements, no thanks. For all that have to brave them, Wickaway will save them, and you can take that promise to the bank. Put Wickaway on here, put Wickaway on there, cause Wickaway's the leader in premier weather wear. We're going to wick it, wick it good, and you'll stay drier like you should. So just say to us if you dare, put on wickaway weather wear. Just tell them Bersford dressed you. And we are back. Feeling better, Sally? For the moment, yes. I just hope I don't start defragging next. Well, I'm not sure what that is, but I hope you don't start feeling that either. Oh dear. Oh my. So, Podians, let's change the subject and get to today's travelogue. And I think it's appropriate to introduce it with a riddle. Sally, 
Pete and repeat were in a boat. Pete fell out. Who was left? Repeat. <laughs> okay, I will. Pete and repeat were in a boat. Pete fell out. Who was left? Repeat. Okay, I will. Pete and repeat were in a boat. Pete fell out, and who was left? Curdy, if I provide you with the correct answer to your question, you will continue retelling the riddle. Correct. That's right, Sally. I think I would rather defrag. Well, I guess everyone's a critic. Okay then, folks. We have not had a chance to vet today's story, but since the contributor is a familiar voice on Space Croutons, we've decided to play it anyway. Here, for your listening and travel pleasure, is somewhat of a repeat, as we have another story from our friend Pete, back from Tunguska, but as we will hear, his adventure continues. Bouvet Island is the remotest island on Earth, at least on our Earth. Located in the southern Atlantic Ocean, it's a speck of ice in the middle of a freezing, watery vastness. A small shelf of volcanic basalt, mostly covered by glaciers, slapped by almost constant storms, shrouded in sea fog, and the last place I would ever choose to visit, or so I thought. But I don't want to get ahead of myself. So, let's jump back to right after I returned from Tunguska. If you recall, I was escorted out of the public pool in my birthday suit, and with some borrowed gym shorts and a t-shirt, I made it back to my place safely. I had no keys, but when I placed my hand on the doorknob, I heard the lock flip, and I eased inside to the living room where my cell phone was ringing. The ringtone unfamiliar to me, but I think you've all heard it before. When I answered, Besford's voice greeted me. Good morrow, Mr. Mosley. That's Mosley. Oh, yes, with a silent T. No, like I told you last time, there is no T, silent or otherwise. It's just Mosley. I understand why you think that. No matter. I'm calling because it's time to arrange your excursion. Another excursion? A flash of light in Besford, a fortyish-looking man with a bright red handlebar mustache, stood before me holding a clipboard and what appeared to be a bottle of champagne. Your Tunguska excursion, Mr. Moosley. He overpronounced my name. You know, from whence you just returned? And now you say I need to schedule it? Shouldn't that have happened before I went on it? Before, after, time is relative, as you know. And am I just booking the one trip, or are there additional trips to book as well? Oh, yes. You will have become quite a traveler. I see. And just where or when else will I have gone? Well, you'll know presently. Uh-huh. So tell me something. I noticed that in Tunguska I spoke, heard, and read things all in English, but my friend Sergei insisted that it was all in Russian. Yes, our advanced portal connection technology is able to automatically translate everything for you so you can enjoy each trip to its fullest extent. No extra charge. Well, aren't I the lucky one? You have been pre-qualified for our special customer give credit where credit is due card. 
It gives you the freedom to travel in every now and then and pay over time and space. I shrugged and nodded. Okay, then, let's get Tunguska booked. Besford held out the clipboard with a single piece of paper on it. The only thing visible on the paper was an X to the left of a dotted line. Sign here. No sooner did I say, I need a pen, than I was holding one in my hand. I scribbled my name, and as I reached to hand the pen to him, it was gone. So, is there a follow-up survey or anything? I have some comments. Bevsford winked and said, Oh, yes, but only after your entire trip is finished. Bevsford now popped the champagne cork. What do you mean? It's not done? He started shaking the champagne bottle. That, Mr. Mosley, will be up to you. Bon voyage! And with that, he sprayed me in the face with the champagne and he was gone, or more accurately, I was gone. Gone from my living room, gone from the warmth of what had been a pleasant summer day, and gone from the borrowed gym shorts and t-shirt. I was now sputtering and wiping champagne from my eyes while sitting naked and shivering in an old rowboat, floating in a shallow, landlocked body of water on a cold, flat piece of rock laced with ice and snow while salty ocean waves crashed around it. Come on! I screamed, and a red backpack dropped into the boat from thin air with a note pinned to it. Oh yeah, you'll want to put these on, punctuated with a smiley face. I unzipped the pack and quickly donned thermal-lined pants, a hooded top, socks, boots, gloves, and a wool hat with goggles. All were adorned with wickaway weatherwear branding. A compass and handheld GPS with a bright red button were also in the pack, and as I hunkered down in the boat to get out of the icy wind, I saw that the GPS screen indicated my location as Bouvet Island, the remotest island on Earth, March 1964. I leapt up, rocking the boat as I yelled out into the surrounding desolation, Besford, you twit! Get me out of here! Now! All right, just you wait, you needle-nosed weasel. You just got zero stars on Yelp! Close now to capsizing the boat as I lunged skyward and landed hard, a loud beep came from the GPS. I watched the screen light up with a message. Hit the red button now, please. Please?! You want I should hit the red button now, please? I yelled at the sky. The message began flashing as I gasped in the freezing air and fell back onto the wooden boat seat. Not sure what else to do, I did as the message suggested, slamming the red button with my fist. The message changed to, thank you. And as I sat in the boat, in the lagoon, on the flat lava rock that is Bouvet Island, somewhere in the South Atlantic, what I can only describe as an energy box formed around me, the corners drawn from below the water, over my head, and then meeting in the middle, covering the entirety of the boat. It blocked out the wheeze of the blustering wind and the cold. And no sooner did I notice the sudden silence than two other people appeared sitting facing me on the other boat seat. People I recognized from the picture book and Tunguska. It was Gregor and the girl. Peter, you did it! Gregor exclaimed as he grabbed my hand and slapped me on the shoulder. He said he would, and he did! 
added the girl with a broad smile on her face. What? I mean, I said what? I I did what? I now noticed that both of them were dressed similarly to me in wickaway weather wear, and each carried the same backpack as the one at my feet. Gregor, what are you doing here? And, And who are you? I gestured to the girl. That is right. Gregor slapped his forehead. You are traveling on a different timeline. For you, we have yet to plan this meeting, but you are here just the same. So let me introduce to you my traveling companion. Peter, this is... She interrupted. Carmen. Call me Carmen. Traveling companion? Gregor, do you know her? I saw her coming out of the woods in Tunguska. There was a massive fireball all around you, and you were untouched. How? Gregor, why are you traveling with her? Gregor chuckled as he exchanged glances with Carmen. My friend, it is all part of the plan we agreed to. Or, on your timeline, we will agree to it. I will question if it is a great plan, but you will convince me, or us, that is, that is the best path for success. So here we are, and we have it. He held out a spherical metal object the size of a small orange, fashioned like an artificial rosebud with layer upon layer of hard, shiny petals folded tightly over each other, tapering to an apex at one end. What is this? You know what it is, but not yet, Carmen assured me. And what happened in Tunguska was how I was able to bring it back. Why didn't you give it to me then? Our meetings must be brief and our timelines scrambled if we are to have any chance of success. So we are here now to hand it over. What am I supposed to do with it? I held the object up to see it better. You said you would ask that, but that we don't have time to keep explaining things over and over. Then you assured us that you would know what to do with it in the right moment. I just shook my head. Fine. Don't tell me. I put the object in my pack and zipped up the side. Peter, there's something else. Carmen swallowed and looked at Gregor. Nodding at her, he paused and said, We think... No, no, we know. Carmen shot back. Okay, okay, we know. We know that someone is after us. They, um, they killed Sergei. And that's why I brought you this. Carmen pulled a pistol from her backpack. Now wait just a gall darn second. I may not know what the heck is going on, but this is too much. I would never sign up for something that might get me or anyone else killed. Just take it. Carmen forced it into my hand, and after swallowing hard, I put the gun in my pack. My head was spinning. Sergei was dead? And it had something to do with this? This object? And that means we were all in danger? And because of my stupid timeline, I was in the dark about all of it? Okay, Gregor, Carmen, tell me right now what's going on. Who killed Sergei? I don't care if I said not to. People are dying. My GPS screen flashed as an alarm went off. A message displayed on the screen. Hit the red button now, please. That means we gotta go. Gregor was putting his arms through the straps of the backpack. Carmen stood and looked around. As I stood, she grabbed and hugged me tightly. Please, Peter, stay safe. We've almost made it to just the right moment. The one we're aiming for. I nodded with a deep breath. (sighs) Then I hit the red button on my remote. Instantly, Carmen and Gregor were gone and the energy box around the boat dissolved, allowing the frigid wind to buffet me and the boat. 
As I tried to keep my balance in the now choppy water, the boat tipped to the left and I splashed face first into the lagoon. I'm so sorry, sir. A server was wiping at my face with a dish towel as red wine poured down the front of my wickaway weatherwear jacket. Well, at least I was still clothed. I guess I turned from the bar too quickly and didn't see you standing there. <laughs> I looked around to find I was standing, fully clothed this time, thank goodness, in a local wine bar I frequent called From Stem to Stem a name that cleverly denoted the journey of wine from grapevine to glass, which was just around the corner from my home. Along with my outfit, the backpack was slung over my right shoulder. As the server continued to apologize, I took the towel, cleaned my face thoroughly, then handed it back and headed for the door. Once out onto the sidewalk, I turned in a homeward direction when what I can only describe as a diamond-shaped pulse of green light formed directly in front of me, and through a low-pitched hum, a voice announced, Peter Lustley, remain still. You know what we want, hand it over now. In a panic, I turned to run, and a hot green laser beam hit and shattered a fire hydrant to my right, creating a six-foot sprinkler of water. I pivoted back to the green diamond, and just as I was reaching into the backpack for the metal sphere I knew they wanted, the GPS in my hand flashed the message, Dash through the hydrant water spray, please. And so I did. Now, I'm not going to reveal where I am or when, for that matter, I think it's better for me to be lost for a while, but I do think that you and your listeners need to hear my story so they know about the threat out there. They should do what they need to do to stay safe. Of course, when this is over, I will attempt to relay more of what happens when I can. Until then, please know that I am not a crazy person and that none of this is made up. This is happening, and I am scared for me, for Carmen, for Gregor, and... Though I don't yet know why, for life as we know it. Well, Curdy, so much for the light, jocular tone we set earlier. Things seem to have taken a turn toward the ominous. That's an understatement, Sally. Now, friends, just know that we are not trying to scare anyone, but if this is, as Peter says, really happening, then we would be negligent if we didn't share it with you. And trust me, we will be reaching out to Besford as well, as I suspect that one or more of his business ventures may be involved directly or indirectly in this matter. If anyone out there has any additional ideas that could help Pete, please give us a shout out and we will put it on the air. Sign us off, Sally. Goodbye for now, Space Grutonians. And keep peace in your heart until our next story time. So when we leave the station For each time or space Vacation You won't wanna miss it if you do, well, you can kiss it. Space Crouton. Season 2.0. Space Crouton brings new worlds to know. Space Crouton.
Milky Way by Tractor Beam And the Kordaks are just a distant dream And our brains have turned to sour cream Loopy from our earworms, space shanty thief Space Croutons Space Croutons is a work of original fiction Similarities to persons, situations, or events, real or fictional, is coincidental and unintentional. Created and written by Jerry, Jace, John, Della, and Jeff Goodson. Episode story by Jeff. Original music by Jeff. Production by Patsy Puckett, Jeff, and Jerry. Featuring the voice talents of Patsy Puckett, Barry Shea, Jerry, Jeff, and Sally. Entire work copyright 2021 by Jeff, John, Jerry, Della, and Jace Goodson. This has been a Good Witch audio production.